Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. So today, man, we get to land the plane on this sermon series called What Would Jesus What? Undo. That's right, not do. Come on, somebody's like, do, that's what I know. But now, what would he undo? Uh, and before we do that, I just want to put a plug in for next week. Some of the seats have some cards on it, and maybe you got one. It just sort of gives you a little snapshot of where we're going, relationship vampires. Jeff mentioned it earlier in our time there, in our, in our welcome moment. But, you know, I just want to encourage you to bring a friend, bring a coworker, a classmate, and then next week, because everyone, everyone likes to get out on the front side of something new and, and what that looks like, especially with relationship vampires. Everybody knows somebody that sucks the life out of you. Come on, right? Somebody? Somebody like my husband, you know, you know, and it's those moments, right? And, and so the, as soon as we dive into this Halloween moment, we're just going to tag that with this relationship vampires of being, you know, sucked on. I know it sounds weird to say that, especially from the stage, but it's true. We as a Christian body, you know, sometimes we just feel like we're done. We're done. I have been drained. You know, everything of me is out of me because I've given it all away. And here comes your next door neighbor. One and a, you know, a glass of milk. I don't know, or something, or some gummy bears. I, that's what I would ask for. Uh, but, you know, it's just true, right? It's just true that those things happen. And how, how are you, you going to be Christ to that person? How are we going to be God in those moments of, 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 of just, man, it's, 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 I'm done. I'm done with this situation. And so I would, I would encourage you to remember this is, is EGR. E-G-R. We'll talk about that next week, but extra grace required. Let's put it that way. And so when you're dealing with people that suck the life out of you, extra grace is required. And so come back. We'll see you next week uh, as far as where we're heading. And we're going to start it off. We hope you'll be here. I know some people are heading to the beach. I feel sorry for you guys. But, you know, those moments of clarity, you know, some people are heading out of town for fall break. But, hey, come back. We'll, We'll encourage you to be a part of it. We're going we're gonna to dive into it. But for the past four weeks, we've been on this journey together, and, and that truly originated, if we really want to talk about this, and truly originated in the aspect of, of, of 1896. I know that's a long time ago uh, for some of you, you know, for some of you who were born in the 1800s, which is no, none of you. So, like, but there was a guy, like, there was a pastor, there was a pastor from Kansas named Charles Sheldon. Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. And in that process, he, he talked about what would Jesus, come on, say it with me. Okay, I know you're there. So what would Jesus what? Do. So he wrote this book, and, and, it, and it sort of launched an idea. And it, it's funny that it took so many years, almost 100 years later, because I grew up in a time in the 90s. It was awesome. You had Rum DMC. You had some other music that was awesome, you know. But everybody was playing this what would Jesus do stuff. And, and it was everywhere. It was bracelets. It was mugs. It was coffee mugs. It was T-shirts. I mean, I'm sure some people even got some tattoos that they regret. But, you know, it was moments of clarity. Uh, they were everywhere. And, and if you grew up in the 90s or in the 70s, maybe the 80s, it was, it was around. People always use this phrase, what would Jesus do? And I love the book. I love the movement. I love the shirts. I love everything about it. But, and it's amazing, what would Jesus do? I know it's just kind of, you know, we, we, we need to think about those things. But this series is not wrapped around that idea. This series is wrapped around the idea of what would he undo? You know, what would Jesus come to undo in us or undo in how we worship him? And I, I really believe, you know, when we dove in right there at the very beginning, we, we said, we just, we went for the jugular, if we were honest. I think he would just unravel the whole thing. I think, you know, my, my dad, if you're just honest, if you know my dad enough, and, and, I, and I can lean into him because uh, he, he just, he's my father. But when he sees me do something he wants undone, it was one of those moments of, mm. And then he got that mm going on. And then it's like, I know what the mm means, like, undo it. You know, I work six hours doing something. He's like, mm-mm. You know, and, and, and I think that's what Jesus sometimes is doing, looking at us going, it, it was just more simple than that. You shouldn't have done it that way. You should undo that. You should reconsider that, you know? And I think one of them is religion for us. I think another one's denomination. I, I think there's some things even inside, you know, where we, where we worship, we, he would undo because it doesn't reflect the heart of God. I, I think he would just move you more freely and just get you to move because it's about the heart. And we learned that in week one, if we look intently into the word and we see what broke the heart of Jesus, what bothered him and what created tension. I think the reason why he created tension is is because he wanted our undivided attention, right? And when he he really just started to move and his ministry started to move and develop, it just created tension everywhere he walked. And as we discovered over the last four weeks, in week one, we said that Jesus would undo something really significant in week one. It was spiritual indifference. 
spiritual indifference because indifference doesn't just break the heart of Jesus. Like we learned, it makes him want to vomit. Like it really does in scripture. It basically just says that he wants, he just, he wants to just, oh, are you kidding me? You can't just say you're a Christian, but your lifestyle says something different. He wants to vomit you out of his mouth. And in week two, we talked about how Jesus would undo hallow worship. You know, we, we talk about worship and we get our worship on. We're so excited to sing songs that just, you know, are just about us. And, and we, oh, they sung my favorite song today. I'm so excited, right? Yeah! And Jesus like, you missed the whole point. You missed it. You had your chance. You blew it. You see, worship isn't about the music. It's about the condition of your heart. Come on, y'all. That was good. That was an amen, right? There's a moment for you. You missed it. Some of you still hung over from last night's football game. Literally, figuratively, probably. So I'm just being honest. Too much bourbon in the room. Anyways, worship isn't about the style of music. It's about the condition of your heart. And we get so focused on the style. Contemporary or traditional? Really? How about Jesus? I remember a song I was raised up on, and maybe you do too. Um, Jesus. Oh, yeah, see, so you all know it too. I don't have to sing the rest of it, right? But why we get so bent out of shape over everything else? Why we get so bent out of shape over Do they got handbells? Oh, I'm good. They got, they, got, they got the big pipe organ. Mm-hmm, that's worship now. Mm. No, they got to have a lead guitar and some music, and they're just jamming, and just, they don't even know what they're singing next. It's just, whoo. We get so bent out of shape over things like that, especially in the culture we live right now. I've seen churches divide over this stuff. Maybe you have too. See, it's not about worship style. It's literally about the condition of your heart. And we get so focused on it. We do. I mean, we, we seriously get focused on it. And I do too. Come on. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I get into it. And I think it's funny that my heart's so full of sometimes joy and I'm in a more traditional setting and I'm just going after it. And they're looking at me like, I'm, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I, I don't know. I visited the Pentecostal church. I don't know. It just happened. And then we get stuck on denomination. There we go again. We're chasing rabbits. It wasn't about that. It was so much more because Jesus was about your heart. He was about your heart. We missed it. He would undo that. Week three, we, we dove in a little bit deeper. We got real serious with you. If we didn't get serious enough, we really targeted something that was really heavy. And we went after hypocrisy. And we was like, well, everybody's a hypocrite. So if you're in church, you're a hypocrite. Come on, let's just be honest. Well, what you do tomorrow morning, probably gonna be more of a hypocritical moment uh, than a Jesus moment. And, 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 and how would Jesus undo that mask we wear on Monday through Sunday? Or excuse me, Saturday. Not Sunday morning, because we all dress up nice and neat and stroll up into the joint and in the loft and we sing some songs. I, I mean, I had a great week. Oh, man, praise the Lord, brother. Worst word ever in the Bible. It's not in there, by the way. You know, why? You see, Jesus had zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but he has unlimited grace for a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I think all of us can put our hand up on that one. You see, we learned last week we should, rather be, we should rather be in an honest sinner than a lying hypocrite because Jesus has unlimited grace for me. He has unlimited grace for me. And I know that one stung last week because I watched people not move. I'm just honest. When, it, when you sit over here some days and you sort of take a look around the room, and you see the white knuckles happening like this, or maybe just pinching the seat in front of you. You notice God's doing something, not really antsy to go to Cracker Barrel. It's something's going on, and spiritually, they, they, they know they want it, but they just don't know how to take that first step. And they're living a lie, and Satan's holding you back from what you could experience and I just pray today as we dive into what we're going to talk about that you're ready because I promise you, if you're not, it's going to floor you. Some of you already tuned me out. That's okay. I'm going to ask you to lean back in, take the spiritual bumpers down and get ready for something powerful because it can change your life before you head out there this week. It can change the trajectory of what this week looks like. And honestly, at the end of the day, it could change a life that what? Changes lives. And so today we're going to finish this off with what I believe is, has the potential to change the church. 
Now, that's a big, bold statement, but you're somebody like, well, church is, church is me, right? Remember that. Where two or more are gathered, we are the church. We're in motion. It's not a building. It's not a location. That's why we're not trying to build something down on the street corner. We just want to move. We want to see movement happen around it. We want to see life happen around it, and therefore love builds it. And when love builds it, life's changed. Thus, we're the church. We're, we're in action. We're a verb. We're moving. And so I want to see movement today in a way that changes your week. And when we can do that, get ready. Something cool is going to happen. So it has the potential to change our families, the environments, and anything we else have an influence on throughout the week. And, and as we conclude this series, if Jesus would come back and undo something for us today, I would pray it would be this one. Here it comes. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. And I believe Jesus would undo spiritual pride when, when we find our value, right? when we find our value, our meaning in ourselves, in what we can accomplish and how we compare to others rather than finding that we're supposed to be centering and pointing and living in Jesus in everything we say and do. Sometimes it's more about we or me. And I think that would break the heart of God. Because we boast about ourselves a lot, but we don't boast about what Jesus is doing through us. Or we trumpet with the word that I know I say quite often. I use I. I did this and I did that and I did this versus he did this through me. It's a totally different sentence. And it shows who you're pointing to. And so that's where we're going today. And I'll show you how hard this is and just spiritual pride stuff, you know, and just to sort of ease into it a little bit. You know, when we first married... I was married, and, and this woman named Sarah, she's my wife, um, she's beautiful. Anyways, she, you know, we just had some great conversations really on, you know, because it was all about myself, and it was kind of hard to learn how to do this, right? We figured out how to do that. Four kids later, we, we figured it out really well. Anyways, but it was moments of clarity, most moments of clarity, man, I remember one day we took a vacation, and, and we took an extended vacation with, with family, her family, not wise, and there was those moments of clarity, you know, you just go, and it's a big thing, we want to go see Mickey Mouse, have a great time, and, but we were, we're going on vacation, we're down there in Florida hanging out, and it was, this was before GPS, by the way, on cell phones, and so, uh, we, but we had, we had one of those big, anybody remember those big, huge garments that set up in the front dash, you know, you, but you got to update it all the time, right, uh, and so it wasn't updated, and so it was one of those moments of clarity, and it doesn't really work well, it just sort of just shows the interstate, that's about it, uh, but needless to say, we were, we were looking for this thing on the side of the road, because it was a place we needed to pull off, and, and my, my wife, she's like, hey, look, I, there it is, pull off, you need to get off, you need to get off in this lane, I said, no, GPS says no. You know, it just says keep on going, right? And so we're just keeping on going. About 20 minutes later, you know, we haven't found this location. So I did the, you know, I broke man code card. I had to change it in. And it was a moment of, I had to walk into a gas station and ask for directions. And, um, and, you know, I don't think that person knew as much as I did. But, you know, it was just for the sake of the conversation in the car, nearly wet. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And so... Here we are, we're having that moment, and I'm walking back to the car, and it was the moment of shame. You know, I looked over to her, and you know, she's like, you know, what, you know, what's going on? Where are we going? And, you know, we're, we're leading the caravan of three cars, and we're trying to figure this out. And, and of course, you know, just to, just to smooth it all out, you know, I just, with every ounce of my body, I, I uttered it very quietly. I was wrong. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. What'd you say? What's wrong? You're right. You speaking Chinese? What are you doing? You know, I was wrong. You were right. I'm sorry. Let's go on vacation. Let's go. I just want to make sure you said that, and make sure I can write it down, right? And the challenging moment was to say I'm sorry. Then I was wrong, because the inward pride comes up. What? If every guy is truthful, we have it in us to kill everything around us. The Bible says there's a fall coming, right? You see, in Proverbs 18, or 16, 18, it says this, pride comes before being destroyed. And a proud spirit, what? Comes before a fall. You see, my wife clearly said 20 minutes ago, pull off. And I was like, mm-mm. I hammered it down, eastbound or down. Man, we're going. Right? But the next thing you know, there was a little destruction in the car. There's some conversations that were not pretty. Definitely didn't honor God. <clears throat> and then there was a fall. 
And I had to walk back and do the shame and ask for forgiveness. Now, God honored that. And we had a great time on vacation. It was, it was amazing. But let's, let's just out of curiosity. Raise your hand with me if you've ever experienced some form or fashion about that. Whether pride causes you to fall. Now, the ones who ain't got your hand up probably need to have your hands up. And I know the husband is getting this right now, right? You see, we've all been there. We've all experienced it in some form, but Jesus would undo spiritual pride in our lives because he doesn't want us to experience it, that fall that comes from pride. He doesn't want that. And so we're going to look at the story in Luke. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and, and pull them out or turn your U version on and just go after Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Uh, before we do that, though, I just want to throw this one liner out. In seminary, one of my professors who I value, Dr. Henson, he, he shared this one day, and it, and it just made sense to me. And he said, one of the most loving things you can do for a person or a student is to look them in the eye and tell them the truth. And he told me, he told me I wasn't, I wasn't doing what I, I probably could be doing to elevate myself where I needed to be going. And, and, and I was just sort of coasting through those moments. I want to tell you that, and I set that stage up for this, because Jesus is about to tell us something that's going to rock your world. And I just want you to be ready for it, because when it hits, you'll know it. So today, through the words of Jesus, I, I believe it's going to look us in the eye, and it's going to tell us the truth of where we're at in life. So look at 18, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, and Jesus tells us a story of two guys who are going to the same place for the same purpose, and, and two guys who, one who was a Pharisee, and if you don't know what that was, it was a good guy that was, you know, is just living life and, and, and for God, and and the other was a tax collector, which is, by the way, the bad guy in the story. It, it's, it's unfortunate. Here we are 2,000 years later, and, and nothing's really changed with tax guys. You know? And so um, anyway, the, they, they, they both go to the temple, which was a church, in order to, to pray to God. And, and Jesus tells us that one of them prayed in a certain way, and the, and the other one prayed in a different way. And, and, and one of them, men, leaves right before God, and, and and one of them doesn't. And, and the next thing you know, something happens really dramatically that changes everything. And, 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 and what you think, you probably are thinking, if you've never read this story before, you probably think, oh, it's, it's a switch. It's, it's a completely different type of ending moment. So Luke 18, Luke 18, uh, verses 9, uh, it says this. Jesus told another picture story to some of the same people who trusted in themselves and thought they were right with God. These people did not think well of other men. You know, and, and right there at the very beginning of the story, Jesus is sort of breaking this down, and Jesus addresses those in a crowd who have a problem they can cause us to lose everything if we're not careful. And he said, it is when we have confidence in, right? He said they trusted in them what? In themselves. And, and they trusted in, in their faith, in, in ourselves, that they get us into trouble when we begin to be off-centered and we think more highly of ourselves. They trusted themselves. And what he's essentially trying to say is that pride causes us to, to look down on others because we think we have it what? All together. In our effects, in our relationships with Christ and with others, we, we do it often. The church is notorious for it. And so Jesus said in verse 10, it says, Jesus said, two men went up to the house of God to pray. And one of them was so proud, a religious leader, a law keeper. The other man uh, was, was gathering taxes. This is pretty straightforward, by the way. I mean, here we have two men walking up to, to pray to the temple, going to the place that represents God's presence. They're, they're literally walking into the visible presence of God on that day in, in a time in front of everybody. One of them was a Pharisee who was re respected. He knew the 613 laws. He knew the Bible, the Torah, forward and backwards. He knew everything about it. Think of like a pastor who's been and got the doctorate, the MDiv, everything else, all the little dots in behind. And he's, you know, he's everything. He's a church leader. He's somebody who's well-respected. He just knows everything, right? And then we have the tax collector. It's funny that, you know, it's not just a bad person. They actually itemize this guy. <laughs> he's a tax collector. I mean, think of like for this day and time, think of the mafia, okay? Think of the mafia, a corrupt politician. How about that? 
For all purposes, this looks and sounds pretty straightforward. He's a bad guy who took more than he should. He robbed people, and he just he dwelt literally on what he could pull from other people. And for those who don't really understand the subject, let me just break it down for you a little bit more like I can understand it some days. Here you got a good guy, bad guy, right? Think of Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. You with me? All right, maybe for those who grew up in the 80s, Rocky and the Russian. Come on, y'all, I the tiger. You with me so far? How about this, new, test, new, 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 new generation, Transformers, Optimus Prime versus Megatron. You with me? Come on, anybody. Avengers versus Thanos. Come on for those geeks. You know, everybody with me so far? Maybe, maybe, maybe you grew up in my area. It's Chuck, Nor- Chuck Norris versus everybody else, okay? You know, that's, that's what we're dealing with. Are you with me so far? Okay, so verse 11, that the proud religious law keeper stood and prayed to himself like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. I would have slapped you in the next week, man, you said this, something like, I, I would have, I don't know. I, I, I would have, ah, I'd have been, mm, what'd you just say? But he did, he just said this. Thank you that I'm not like these other men and I am not like those who, who steal. I'm not like those who do things that are wrong. I'm not like those who do sex sins. I am not even like this tax gatherer and looking right at him. I go without food two times a week so I can pray. I'm boasting about myself and what I do for God. And I give one-tenth of my money that I earn. Back to God. I'm not like those guys. God, I'm here. I'm doing everything. Pharisee's prayer was a bold and powerful prayer, and he was chasing after God. I do believe that he was honoring God with the, with the attempt. He just missed so badly. You see, I, I follow all the religious rules. I, I'm, I'm following you, God. I'm, I'm following what your word says. I do all the right things. I'm trying my best. I follow the law, and, I, and I'm good. Right, God? Come on, God. I'm right. I'm in your spirit, right? Yes. See, however, what he was really saying was, I'm better than everyone around me. I'm doing this. Can everybody see? I'm just searching for value, and the only way I can get is to boast my chest out and make sure I'm talking about you and me, God. And I'm I'm comparatively good to those guys over there, those tax collectors. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those tax collectors. You see, the Pharisee, here's what I want you to see in this. The Pharisee, he wasn't completely wrong. He had much, if we're just being honest, he had much to be proud of. You know, one of the things I've said often, I said it from the stage, you know, if it wasn't for the church and the church that I grew up right down the street, this church that I love, and I would, I would be probably a crazy little, I would have done a lot of crazy things. There's some wonderful people who, the church honestly saved my life. It allowed me to just experience love in a way that radically changed everything. There was one man who literally poured a lot of life into my family, and it changed the trajectory of everything. It's, it's awesome just to know that, that that's how changed life happens. But now we've got to talk about why it happened, not about a man, but it's a love through that man that changed everything. And see, this is where this guy gets it off wrong. You see, but instead of realizing what he had as a gift from God, he saw himself as the gift to God. I don't know if you caught that. See, instead of realizing he, he, what, what he had as a gift from God, he saw himself as the gift to God. You see, some people who've done church all their life, they walk into church, oh, I'm here today to serve God. It's going to be good. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, and it's going to be good. We take pride in it. And we run over people. And here's the truth about that. We'll meet us face to face this morning. We're like, oh, I don't. No, that's not me. You see, we do it too. We just do it differently. You see, spiritual pride falsely promises with these attitudes that change everything inside us. And it's one of them is self-sufficiency. If you're taking notes, self-sufficiency. I've got this. I've got this under control. I don't need anybody else in my life. I have it all together. I do right. I'm a good person. This is how I roll. And man, I don't need your help because it's just me and God. We're rolling. I'm good. No, man. Proverbs says iron sharpens what? 
iron. That's right. Hebrews also talks about surround yourself with a what? A great cloud of witness. Means you got to do life together. Don't do it alone. And some of us like, oh, it's just me. God, oh, yeah, I'm good. See, oh, mm. Number two, self-importance. Self-importance, I am valuable. What I do cannot be replaced. Man, that's a bold statement. Some of us say it. Live in the right neighborhood. The team I serve on couldn't do life without me. Everything, you know, it, it functions around me. I'm doing things the right way. I'm the glue or a critical piece to everything I touch and say and be a part of. Self-importance, the valuable piece. And the last one, self-exaltation. I am better than everybody else. Now, I know we don't really say it, but maybe just how we flip the hair, which I ain't got, but we do it through our, our actions. I'm better than you. How we carry ourselves. Everyone look at me and tell me how just great I am because I thrive in it when people tell me that. You see, here's what happens. If you put these three things and you start to put them into you, inward direction emotion, inward direction emotion leads to an outward, an outward directed actions. It keeps on throwing it back out in a negative way. We fall into the trap of thinking that my ultimate value is based on accomplishments, gifts, and rule following. Comparison to others, the inward emotion eventually leads to an outward action that leads us to what? The fall. The fall. You see, we're, we're, aren't, we're, not, we're not very much different from the Pharisee in this pride because it's a misplaced value. We compare, come on, parents, we compare. Parents look at each other's kids and say weird things. We're just like, I'm, I'm glad my kids don't like, like, like that. You know? And maybe, maybe we even say, you know, maybe we do weird things at work. We say, I can't believe they would suck up like that to the boss. Because it's, it just starts working in your heart and you just start to vomit something out. Or then you'll say, I, well, I would never do that. I, I can't believe they would do that. I can't. You see, it's easier to lift yourself up when you're pushing someone else down. It just is. Or maybe it's, maybe it's you and you're just like, I just don't need, I don't need God for this. I don't need no help from God. I, I didn't need him then, and I'm good. I'm better than most Christians, and I just, I'm just living my life this way. I, I'm moving in this direction. I don't need God for that. Maybe it's, it's something a little bit more. Maybe it's, it's attention-seeking. Look at me. I'm serving. Look at, look at my hands up during worship. I'm just going after it. Yeah, look at me. Look at me. Maybe, maybe it's you in the, 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 the style, hey, I'm on social media today, and I'm just texting. I'm in worship. It's really cool. See? And you're just all about you, and you, and you take the song. Maybe you take a little picture of the song, and you're just like, oh, it's awesome. You're trying to show everyone else that you were here, and you're trying to get value, your attention-seeking. Maybe, if we're honest, guys, this is us. Maybe it's fault-finding. I know no one has an issue with that one. But maybe you're the expert in everyone else's Maybe everybody else's, it's always their fault. And you point the blame on everybody except yourself. Why? Because it's easier to focus on their faults than allowing God to address the faults that are in your own life. It's easier to push someone down than lift them up. You see, there's a, there's a movie, and it's a great movie, by the way. I, I encourage you to go home and watch it. But my kids and I, we watch one too many Disney movies, and so. Um, but there's a movie that was released a couple years ago called Moana, and I love it. And, uh, and it was just, the setting was the ancient Polynesian culture, and when a terrible curse was, was incurred on this demigod named Maui, and, and it reaches Moana's island, and you know, it, but the whole point of why I'm telling this is she answers the ocean call to seek out this demigod, a set you know, called Maui, in a different direction. And she finally finds Maui, and, and he starts to sing this song. Now, she really needs his help. But she starts to sing, he starts to sing this song. He's like, I see what's happening here. You with me? What can I say but you're welcome? Because he's all about himself. He's like, oh, you're experiencing the greatness of me because my name is Maui. 
And he's like, oh, you just, you just, I see what's happening here. You're just in the presence of me. I don't need your help. I don't, my greatness and I can do this. I'm so strong. I, I don't need anybody's help. But how come if he's so great, he was still stuck on the island? Now, I know he didn't have his little fishing hook, but you got to go watch the movie. It's a great analogy for him, right, y'all? It's, it's, it's true. He needed a little girl in her boat to get off the island. But the only thing he said is, you're welcome. That's a great song because it's very catchy, and, but it fits to where we're at right here in this spiritual pride. Man, we just walk and we ooze, especially people inside the church. We ooze it out. You're welcome. When we serve the least of these, oh, it breaks the heart of God. When we walk in and we do something significant and we're just like, you're welcome. Think of this, instead of telling God, thank you so much that I get to be a part of this church where I see you move every single week, it's because of your spiritual pride. We essentially say things like, God, you're welcome that I showed up today. God, thank you for the gift that you've given me with these children to be able to raise them up and to follow you as God. Otherwise, we say things, you're welcome that I brought those rugrats to church today. And somewhere in our timeline with God, if pride creeps in and we stop seeing the good things as our life, as a gift from God, and we see, we begin to see to ourselves as our gift to God. We begin becoming in that motion of where we put ourselves. And we say, oh, thank God, you're welcome. We begin to experience spiritual pride, and spiritual pride promises us those three things, self-sufficiency, self-importance, and self-what? Important to which leads to the fall of everything. Self-sufficiency, self-important, and, and self-exaltation um, that leads to an outward action that we never normally want to be associated with. And I know in the back of your brain, you like to say, I've never done that. Uh, I would... Ask the people around you. It's interesting that they'll tell you the truth. And here's the word of God right here in front of us is telling us some truth and maybe you're squirming right now. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm good. This sermon's not for me. I'm safe. I'm crossing my arms. Well, maybe we can talk about this idea of spiritual pride and it's in a more of a sneaky version that we can call it reverse spiritual pride, maybe. And you're like, what's that? Well, think of it this way. I can't receive a compliment with a simple and gracious thank you, but instead I have to deflect it with sarcasm, and it's, it's better to be lucky than good. Or maybe it's just all about this, not me. Or maybe I could never, or, or I could never be used by God because I'm, I'm not that good at anything. He hasn't given me a gift like that or given it to other people. Or I could never waving my hand during worship because I don't want to draw attention to myself. Or I could never share my faith with somebody at work because I don't know what to say. Because, or, or maybe that would be a super spiritual person or moment that I don't know what to do. I don't know enough about the Bible. I could never do that. I could never. Maybe it's the wow moment, right? It's, 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 it's me, wow. It's, 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 it's my life. It's, it's, it is bad. I deserve better. I deserve better than that person I'm sitting next to. I deserve better than my kids who won't listen to me. I deserve better than the job that I go to every single week. It's the wow moments. To see, the problem with reverse spiritual pride is it's the exact same thing as an overt spiritual pride person because it starts with what? It starts with me. And, and my value is based on what I accomplish and how I compare and with everybody else. You know, it's just like the Pharisee. It's just like the Pharisee. Ultimately, the problem with the spiritual pride is, is when we're full of ourselves, if you're taking notes, write it down. When we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. When we're more about us, there's no ounce for God to sneak in. He can't do nothing with that. When we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. We're gonna pick back up here with the story in verse 13. 
as we round the corner from home. We're, we're looking at verse 13. It says, but the man who gathered taxes stood off a long way. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven because he knows where he's at in life. But it hit him. He started to beat himself on his chest and said, God, God, have pity on me, a sinner. You see, the tax collector, we've already considered the Pharisees, so let's look at the tax collector standing there in the same distance, and he couldn't even bring himself into the temple. It says that he was unable to lift his eyes to the heaven, and he was beating it on his chest. God, be merciful to me. A sinner, God have mercy on me. Don't, don't give me justice. Don't give me what I, want, what I deserve. God, just have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. But see, because he understands the one thing and it's the, the one thing that it, God doesn't intervene in the story. He's hopeless. Because there's, there was a way for him to be made right under the law and it was this, that he would pay back every single penny that he ever collected plus 20%. Every single penny that you've ever made plus 20%. That was the way the law was written back then. Who could have done that? Because he knew he was, he was hosed. But see, but God intervened. God, if you, if you don't intervene in my situation, I'm hopeless. And this is what it was. Jesus says about that prayer in the next verse, in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man went back to his house Forgiven. Period. Nope, comma. More coming. Here we go. And not the other man. The guy who knew everything about God. The guy who knew 613 laws. The guy who gave everything away. The guy who was living in righteousness. For whoever makes himself look more important than he is will find out how little he is worth. Whoever does not try to honor himself will be made important. You see, when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But when we empty ourselves out, when we humble ourselves, when we empty ourselves like the tax collector, when we empty ourselves out, we're in the perfect position to be filled up by God's grace. Come on, y'all. Somebody better say amen. When we empty ourselves out, we're in the perfect position to be filled up by God's grace. And here's why that's good news, because some of you walked into church today and you're already feeling humbled. You're in the perfect position. You're in the perfect position to be uplifted by God's grace. Maybe it's the life situation has humbled you. Maybe it's some choices that you've made and you've brought humility onto you and your family and, and you're already saying what the tax collector was saying, which is, God, if you don't intervene in my life, I'm hopeless. And you're feeling, you're feeling the pressure. And the good news is for you that he wants to intervene in your life right now through Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit. And he wants to bring hope and he wants you to, to, to feel mercy and he wants you to, to feel forgiven and, you, and all we have to do is empty ourselves out in the, and be ready in this perfect posture to be filled up by God's grace. And here's the next one. And when we empty ourselves out, we're in this perfect position to be used by God. I don't know if you caught that. But you're in the perfect position to finally see changed lives. Change lives. Man, how cool is that? If I don't get you fired up, I don't know what will. Something's wrong with your cup. You need to plug it. It's just true. You're just pouring things out. You need to plug all those holes up, man. You be plugging up with Jesus so you're overflowing like crazy with Jesus' love. You see, I, I've struggled with spiritual pride for a long time. This is where it gets real. God, look what I've done. If you don't know a little bit about my story, I'm quickly just... But at the age of 23, man, I, I, was, I thought I had arrived being one of the youngest pastors in the state of Kentucky on a college campus and in charge of the campus. I thought, I, I thought I'd, man, this is great. This is, and, and people said I had a big head. Okay, maybe I did. But I, it, was, it was arrogance. And until it was decided because I didn't have a seminary degree, I, I, I couldn't continue that 
relationship on and, and, and they needed to move on from me. And man, my pride boiled with anger. I'll show them. I'll go to seminary and I'm gonna get my doctorate. I'm gonna fire every single one of them. And I said that to a guy. How does that honor God? From there, God allowed me to find a church where again, I, we saw great growth. We saw community just accelerate and we did things that, and literally everybody grabbed me credit for and my, my chest just, and, and we just literally, we saw fruit, man. And sometimes I just boasted in it and not with the right boast. And it, and it ah, God didn't honor that. And today I regret some of those decisions because I know God works through everything, even me, a sinner, but he didn't, that didn't honor him. And then he allowed me to pursue something called church planning. He revealed a, a plan and a path, and it was a beautiful plan. And, but, it, but it couldn't move forward because there was more, more about me sometimes in the church and talking about it and how I talked about it, and it was full of pride. And I, and, and, and I had to own it, and I, and I had to own it, and so did some other people. And some of those situations that took place, it caused us just to bump in a way that it never could be resolved. And they had to go somewhere else. It was a humbling experience to be honestly homeless as a church. Man, we, we worshiped in a park that redefined everything. We started on a trajectory and it, and it took off well. And then, then all of a sudden, just, it just unraveled. And it was just, it was, it was just moving in ways that only God can get the credit for because I, I didn't know what was next. And he was just trying to break me. He was trying to humble me and say, I can't use you until you're in the right position, Jason. And I remember standing in that. I remember standing in the park. And it wasn't raining, man. It wasn't raining. But it was clouding up and it was raining down there on the street. And God was just like, listen, I am getting your undivided attention. I hope you see what I'm trying to do to you. And we started to sing a song, and it, it was just open up the heavens. Let the rain come down. Open up the heavens. And we were singing it for all it's worth, and there's about 20 of us gathered that day. And we were just singing it, chasing after God. The next thing I saw was like people starting to come forward and just praying and just fasting and chasing after God. And that was the moment God finally said, you're in the right position. And it's not you, it's your heart. You're ready to lead finally. You're finally ready to lead. So get ready. And from that moment on, man, the only thing I can do is point you back to God. I don't, I don't really take credit for what's happened next, and it's just amazing emotions, uh, but it's more about being devoted, spiritually devoted, that's changed the course of where Center Point has been and where we're going now. You see, pride is about my glory. Pride is about making my name great, but humility, humility is about God's glory. And when that moment of humility happened is when Centerpoint began to birth fruit for the very first time. It's when we saw, started to see people come to know Jesus and that's what happens when change happens. God shows up and changed lives happen. You see, humility is about God's glory. It just is. Humility is about God's glory. So how do we do that? How do we experience God's glory? How do we empty ourselves out before God? Confession is a great way, by the way. Serving others, that's great. It's, it's an awesome way to, to usher in humility in our lives. But, but I'm just gonna give you one question that I want you to ask this week and, and maybe even as you sit around the dinner tables today. But what, I just, I want you to go back and think about when, when you're experiencing those inward emotions that lead you to that outward action that, that you would never want to be associated with, when, when you have that fear inside you when, you, when you have that anxiety start to sneak up and you're facing a decision that you asked, I want you to ask yourself this question this week. Is this about my glory or God's glory? Is the current situation and the current climate, is this about my glory or is it about his glory. I just want you to write that down and write it down, put it in some format for you to remember. Is this about my glory? 
Is this about lifting my name up or is it about lifting his name up? Which one is it? Because pride promises you freedom through being enough, but it delivers a prison of untainable goals. And humility offers the freedom that you can experience outside of Jesus Christ. Is that about my glory? Or is this about God's glory? And I'm not speaking today as one who has it all together. (laughs) Because I don't. I still get tripped up every once in a while because my pride creeps back in. But the best way I know how to describe it is is this. And it's, I'm just not going to all these movies for, but Shrek, you remember Shrek? It's like an onion. You know, the outside of it, you know, God's just trying to peel some things off to get to the next layer, but it stinks, right? And then you figure out, I, I got it figured out. I've got, I've, got this, I've got this figured out. And you start to boast, but what's actually really happening is that next layer's got to peel off and it starts to what again? It starts to smell. And then he just continues just to peel another layer off and another layer off. And eventually, every single time you peel a layer off, it's just, it's just it's getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And in, in, in comparison, this, this could be how to deal with this situation of spiritual pride. God's going to peel that onion back in your life and he's, and he's going to because... You want to be more like Christ and you're going to struggle with that spiritual pride, but instead you're going to empty yourself out, receiving his grace until there's just that little seed left, which is basically the heart of God, giving you birth, giving you life so you can experience freedom from all the things that hold you captive. He's going to continue to peel back layers one at a time until he can get it right, right there where you need to be in the hands of God. You see, Matthew 5, 16, it says, these are Jesus' words, he says to us, in the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds. That they may see your deeds and who you glorify and and who you love and, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, God has called you. He has equipped you. And he's gonna use you to bring glory to his name. The problem is with pride is that when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. You've got to strip away the outer layers. You've got to continue to pull them back every single step. No matter how bad it stinks, you've got to keep on pulling and get into the right posture before God. Not man, God. But that's not going to be us because we're going to empty ourselves, right? Or are you going to hold on to it like this? Don't be like the, the Pharisee and just walk out of here like, ah, that's a great sermon. I want you to be like the tax collector. We're gonna empty ourselves out, putting ourselves in the perfect position, beating our chest and just, God, forgive me. Filled by his grace and walk out of here knowing that you're forgiven and we're gonna empty ourselves and we're gonna humble ourselves and we're gonna empty ourselves because that's the perfect position to be used by God. What does it look like for a church to get on fire? It starts with men and women who are humble enough to admit that they need a savior. It's it's gonna take men, honestly, to lead the way and get in that perfect position and not be afraid to fill an altar up. Not be afraid to walk across the room and, and say you're sorry. Not be afraid to lead your wife and say we need more Jesus in our life. There's something off and it stinks. We need to peel some layers back and be completely brutal on, brutally honest with ourselves. I need Jesus. And he's offering it today. You just got to reach out. And take a step. Drop the spiritual bumpers. Be completely open and ready. Start peeling layers. Don't walk in here like you just walked in. It's kind of flaky. Walk in here peeling off some layers, man, and getting down to the core of it and saying, look what Jesus has done. I left that there. Man, this feels good. It's kind of fresh, a little stinky, but I'll get, man, we're gonna work on this layer. 
We're going to work on this one on me. This week, we're going to work on this. I got some guys that's going to be pouring life into me, and we're going to pray. But we're going to sharpen iron. Iron sharpens iron. We're going to, we're going to, man, we're going to just seek God. And that layer is going to start to smell better. It's going to look better. And then we're going to work on the next one next week. We're going to peel another one off. Whew, that one stinks. Really stinks. It's causing me to tear up a little bit, right? We're going to peel that one back. We're going to start to peel that one back. We're going to get brutally honest before God. And next thing you know, I'm going to be completely transformed. And the image he wants to be, that he wants to use you, which is love. It just pours out in everything you say and do. So that's where we're at today. And I just pray you think about those things. I pray that you put them into application. Is this about your glory? Is it about his glory? Why do you show up? Why are you living? Why are you doing what you're doing? I pray it honors God today. Don't let your ego trump everything. Ken Blanchard said this, and we'll call it with that. But he used the word ego to to catapult what I'm saying today. And men, just lean in with me just a second. You can either exalt God only, or you can edge God out today. You can either exalt God only in everything that you say and do, or you can edge him out. It's your ego. It's your pride. It's your spiritual pride. Jesus would come to undo that. And I think he wants to start with us to get us into a position to fully surrender everything over in a way that honors and reflects his glory. So Jesus, thank you for words of wisdom. Thank you for Luke 18. Thank you for just how you're just moving us right now and how you're changing lives, even as we just confess some sins and confess some things over. God, I just pray honestly that we just lean in and we, we experience your life in a way that changes everything. May we just be like the tax collector and beat our chest and just say, God, just set a fire in my heart, set a fire in my way that just changes everything. May we just be passionately in love with you and no fear about anything else. May our spiritual pride just fall. May we be ready and willing in a way that just opens up your glory in a way that changes the trajectory of everything. Jesus, I pray that in your name, in your holy name, amen.